Good morning to you. If you're uh, watching us online this morning, uh, my daughter said that uh, they're going to be listening to me as they travel today. So uh, good morning to you guys on the road. Be safe. And your brother says you're traveling in winter at your own demise and he's not praying for your safety, but the rest of us did. So, yeah, well, that too. Okay. So, uh, Liddy and Addie and Zippy and Eva Jane, uh, good morning to y'all. Uh, and Glenda, uh, we're looking for you to get better and uh, uh, we're praying for you here. And if you need anything, you know, all of us will help. Give us a call. So, you know that. Okay, let's look at the scripture. We ended up in John, the sixth chapter, starting in verse 35 today. If you go back to verse 34, the people were looking for signs and works. You, you remember this. Uh, and uh, Jesus was trying to get them on another page, but they were having trouble getting there. Uh, you've never talked to somebody and had that kind of situation happen, though I know. Uh, where it just seemed like you weren't able to communicate. Uh, Jesus is pretty good at getting them on his page, and you're going to see him do that here. Specifically, this is in the context of the manna that God had given uh, to the people through the exile experience through Moses. And they kind of uh, have brought that teaching in to this whole passage as we've gone along. There's this comparison being made, specifically because Jesus had broken the bread and the fish, and he'd fed the crowd of 5,000. That was the day before. They met him around on the other side of the lake. And uh, desperately, it seems he's trying to get them to open their spiritual eyes to see and understand uh, what's going on. But they're still stuck in the flesh and blood world and not really making this quantum leap of uh, understanding that he wants them to. Um, in verse 34 of John uh, 6, it says, and uh, then uh, they said to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. So that's a real indication that they haven't gotten with him on the page he wants them to get to. Give us this bread. And they're not talking about something eternal there. They're talking about something evermore that they can have, that they can eat. Uh, I, I kind of get that. I mean, think about how much time you spend preparing food, doing what you have to to put food on the table, uh, preserving food. Food is a pretty big part of our our life, isn't it? So if you've got a king who says, hey, just come to my table every morning, I'll, you know, I'll be the, uh, I'll handle the preparation, I'll handle the provision, getting it here. It's all great. And uh, the disciples can be the uh, bus boys and the bottle washers. You know, boy, we got it, you know. Well, and that's what they had had the day before. And that's what they came around the lake looking for again that day. And they were wanting like the manna was an ongoing thing until they walked into the promised land and it stopped. They were wanting the Lord to provide something it would seem in the very same fashion. That sort of manna for them as this uh, Messiah. Or at least that's a, uh, a real interpretation here. The words in other uh, translations besides the King James and the American Standard are evermore, always, for the rest of our lives from now on. Just give me food, Lord. Just be my cook for the rest of my life sort of thing. Uh, my, uh, let's move on now to uh, 
verse 35, where Jesus really pushes hard at this point to clear up any confusion because they're still looking for bread. And he says, I am the bread of life. This is one of those I am statements in John. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now that should have pushed them into a whole different arena because there's no bread that you can eat here on earth that you're not going to get hungry again on, are you? And it doesn't matter what you drink, you're going to be thirsty again. And so what's he going to give you that you're never going to have to eat again or that you're never going to have to drink again? Now, if you just put that to somebody like that, you would think that they would be forcing them to think beyond the physical realm, right? I mean, what's he talking about here? He's the bread and somehow or another, he wants to give me something that yeah, is, is, I'm never going. It's like the woman at the well, you know, and uh, will give me this water. So I, I don't don't have to come back to this well anymore. Right. Uh, making that quantum leap. You know, there are two worlds and getting our heads out of this one and into that one is really hard sometimes. And you know, we're studying revelations in our uh, our uh, grandpa's group. And uh, boy, it's a it's a picture behind the scenes of what's happening in this world with the realization that there's another world that's really got this that's in charge and we miss that a lot of times down here uh, broadman commentary said this regardless of a person's religious presupposition he eventually discovers that everything tangible whether food or drink or sex or possessions furnishes only a transient fulfillment the sense of incompletion which every man experiences as a result of his, his efforts to satisfy and in earthly things um, provides the basis on, uh, on, on which he may be prompted to search for heavenly things and bring lasting satisfaction to his life. Um, you ever experienced that? Um, there must be more to life than this. At some point, you know, I, I mean, I can remember once I thought Mountain Dew was the greatest drink God had ever made, God or man. And I drank them like they were going out of style. So much so I got sick of them. I couldn't, I wouldn't drink a Mountain Dew now for $20. I just don't like them anymore. Isn't that crazy? They don't satisfy. I mean, you know, uh, one of the little statements I have in my prayer book is, there's nothing more of this world's stuff that I can gain that'll make me any happier. Matter of fact, it'll probably make me more miserable, won't it? I mean, Michael just buried a truck this week. That's always fun stuff, isn't it? Uh, you know, we get these things and we think they're going to be so wonderful. Yeah, no, it's all temporal, isn't it? So it should push us to some point to say, hey, there's got to be more to life than this. And, uh, and I think that's what's happening here, you know, as you to make these attempts in the world to gratify all of these desires of the flesh and you come up short at some point you got to say there's something more here i am the bread of life he says in verse 35 flat out declares it this is the only bread that you're going to get today that jesus was going to give them i mean i really feel like that's what he was saying you walked around the lake so that you could get some more bread. But I'm the bread of life. This is the only bread you're going to get today. This is it. So quit looking for the other and start looking at me. I think he's very, very boldly saying here what it is that he wants them to focus on. And he, he said it here. Come to me and you will never go hungry again. Believe and you will never thirst again. 
Come to me. Come is an important part of it. And you will never, never go hungry again. Believe and you will never thirst again. That was not going to fit in their present thinking where they were. Pushing people sometimes to even think in the spiritual arena. It's difficult, isn't it? Matter of fact, it's impossible. And even Jesus is going to acknowledge that in a few minutes. Where you look at him and you think, oh, he must be really frustrated with this group. And he doesn't seem to have the kind of frustration that you think he would have. Especially since it was that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he knows that these people are not believing. He knows what's in the heart of men. And he knows where they're standing with all this. You think that that would be, this kind of rejection would be a pretty sobering moment for him, right? And yet you're going to see in a moment that he handles this in a, in a remarkable way because he says, oh, well, you know, uh, nobody can come to me anyway unless the Father draws them. Is there a word there for us? I think there's going to be a strong word for there, there for us in, in just a few minutes. But trying to get people to join the conversation is a difficult thing sometimes. Especially in the Northwest. I don't know if it's still this way in Texas or other parts of the world. Uh, I think there are certain people groups that are probably more ripe than we are up here. Uh, this is a mission field if there ever was one. Um, but just, just being on the same page in a conversation. You know, I shared an incident with you a while back where I was at an associational meeting and uh, one of the guys, it was supposed to be a discussion group and it was a conversation. It was not a conversation. It was a lecture for over an hour and a boring one at that. You know, I don't see how anybody, yeah, well, you know, preachers are just boring as a whole, you know, I mean, and uh, uh, you're here and I don't know why, but you keep showing up, you know, must be a God thing. But at any rate, uh, I listened to this and his original his original premise that he was building his whole whole debate and whole discussion on, which was not a debate, not a conversation. But at any rate, uh, I didn't agree with his premise to begin with. You, you ever do that? I felt like I was talking to a Democrat, you know, uh, where they have a different premise about life. It's not really a life. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it doesn't even have a heartbeat. How can I ever get on the same page with you? You know, you started on a place that all of your discussion is never going to match up with me because it's a life. You know, it's a life, people. And you're killing a baby, right? Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. That's today. It's important to us, right? Okay, so how do you ever get on the same page? You don't. A lot of times you never do. Well, that's the way this debate went, you know. And finally, at the end, when he ended it all and came up for air and asked for comments, I, uh, I just kind of said, I disagree with you because your premise at the beginning was wrong. And then he took everything that he said. Well, he said, but yeah, but it works in this context. And I said, yeah, but that's not the context you taught it in. And he said, well, that's what I meant. And I said, okay, well, I'm good with that then. And he said, well, welcome to the conversation. I'm going, okay, not sure we've had a conversation. And then he went right back and took it and applied it to the situation that I said it wouldn't work in. And so I stopped him and I said, wait a minute, you said it was in this context and now you moved it to this one and it doesn't work. I said, welcome to the conversation. He did not take that well. And we ended up in this little thing going like this, right? Do you ever have that happen in your world? I'm talking about people that I think is common sense. You know, you're a boy, you're a girl. Uh, and we can't even get over that. 
you know, and it ends up that you're angry and mad and yelling. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I think, has had one of those days. And if, he, if he'd have been at that meeting, I, I feel like he just wanted to say, join the conversation, people. You know, this is what I'm talking about. See if you can get there. And they're having trouble getting there. And in the process, he understands that they're not going to get there without the grace and the help of God. So let's look at the dialogue here. He says, but as I told you. Verse 36 of six, chapter 6. You have seen me. Now, I, I, I want to just say a word about that. Because this is going to be important to the revelation and the concept that I'm going to teach from this passage in just a minute. Because some people like to take this passage as a one of those five-point Calvinist extreme sovereignty of God things that, that you know takes away the volition of men. We're, I'm not going to do that. And the reason I'm not is right here. As I've told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Okay. There were some there that saw and did believe. There were a few, right? We know that. We can see that with the disciples. Most of them were on their way after all this took place. So the ones who believed, they were the only ones that saw what, what happened, right? No. Everybody was there. Everybody saw the loaves broken. Everybody saw what had happened. Everybody ate. They were a part of that. They all walked around the mountain. They were all a part of this discussion. Everybody had the same revelation. They came to different conclusions. Everybody in this world has the same revelation. Walk out your door. Look at the sunrise. We got the same revelation. If you can look at that and say there is not a master designer, then I can't help you. You can't join the conversation. Because there had to be a master designer in my thinking that put this together. And Romans 1 says that all who do not seek God, look for Him, are going to be judged and condemned because they should have been able to walk out, look at the sunrise, and say, there is a God. Now you can argue and debate and we can talk about and have some real conversations about who that God is. But if you walk out and look at a sunshine and set sun, sunrise and say, there is no God, I can't help you. If, you. if you plant a garden and watch it grow and say, there is no God, I can't help you. Romans says creation is witness alone that should cause mankind to look toward God. And we miss that. They had the same revelation and still they said, he said, you do not believe. So God is not impartial in the revelation that he brings to mankind. Now that'll just hold that in your brain. It'll be important here in a minute. All right. All that the father gives will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now, you didn't look like you got that because that should have, you know, I know it's winter and I know it's the northwest and I know it rains all the time. And I know that everybody wears dark clothes in the winter because we all get depressed. Look around. I wore yellow on purpose today. All right. Did I feel like it? No. But I wanted to bring a little sunshine, right? I think next week, maybe I'll just do that. We need a bright shirt Sunday. Everywhere you wear a bright shirt next Sunday, okay? It's crazy. All right? So, anyway, where was I going? This should brighten your day, okay? This is it, and you're missing this. Listen to this. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The Father gives, and we're going to look at how He does that in a minute. They come. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You can come to Jesus. Well, I don't know if He'll take me. I will never drive Him away. You can come to Jesus. Everybody, anybody. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of, the, of Him who sent me the Father, that I don't lose any, that I should lose none of all that He has given me. But I'm going to raise them up on the last day. For my Father, and I, I think it's interesting that He says last day. There, you know, this earth it has a last day. Climate, people that are going to save the world. There's an expiration date here, alright? There's a stewardship that we need to have of God's planet. Absolutely, I'm on that page. But if you're going to save the planet, join the conversation, you know? Because you're missing it. It's going to go. I'm going to raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Now you tell me, what's your takeaway from that? What in that passage you went, that's good stuff. Anything? Believe. Believe is the key. The key to what? You're going to be raised up at the last day. Everything, isn't it? The Father's going to, the Father has a will. Jesus has always done the Father's will. He's going to do it again. And what the Father wills is that Jesus will bring us all with him that are his. Did Jesus do the Father's will all through his life? Did it accomplish the Father's purposes all through his life? Can we trust him for this? Yeah. Can you get excited about some of this? I'm the only one. Okay. You all have to wear yellow shirts next week then. Yeah. So, what did they take away from this teaching? The people who were listening. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because they said, because he had said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Well, I guess I get that. I mean... But why did you get hung up there? They didn't hear anything else. They never got to the other else because they're going, wait a minute. We know his mother and father, you know. The bread come down from heaven. Why in the world would we believe that he came from the heavenly father? Wait, 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 wait a minute. Well, you might believe because Herod had actually figured it out from talking to the Jews who knew enough prophecy to tell him where he was going to be born, how it was going to be laid out and all that. But, you know, they were missing all that, I guess. And there was an Old Testament witness to this, I guess. But, but for some reason, this was something they hung up, got hung up on. And they got hung up on this and they began to grumble. Oh, that's so like people, isn't it? You can talk to them about all the wonderful, marvelous things that God has in store for them. That God wants to do for us through Jesus Christ. And they get some, hung up on some little dumb something they don't understand. And can't get past it to grab the bigger concepts. I run into it all the time, don't you? Again, join the conversation. 
And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can you say I've come down from heaven? Evangelism efforts that we make. We need to be careful not to expect everyone to join the conversation. Some just will not. They'll get caught up on those things that will keep them from seeing the big picture. And our task is just to be rightly dividing the word of truth. To do it with gentleness. Lifting everything, I think, up to God in prayer. We're responsible for what we believe. We're responsible for the lies that we push out of our life and the truth that we receive. We're responsible for how we live. We're responsible for what we teach before God. But we are not responsible for what others believe. They have to make that choice. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. One of the things that I find to be a universal truth in Scripture every time I see it is God really likes His people to grumble. He rewards that. He gets so excited when his people grumble. It's such a wonderful faith response. Now, I have to be careful when I do stuff like that because some people go, that, is that right? That's sarcasm, okay? I mean, I, you just never know. They've missed a lot in this conversation that he is the bread of life, that everything in life that is eternal and abundant is sourced in the sun. He is who you have to go through in order to have life. They have seen with their eyes, literally, and they still do not believe any of this. This might well seem a burden to Jesus, as we've talked about. Um, but whoever comes to him, he will never drive away. Man, there's a world that needs to hear that, isn't there? Jesus is waiting. He's the father of the prodigal son. He wants you to come home. He does. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I think he draws in part by this volition, volition that we have, this choice that we have, uh, by putting that intact in, in front of some real revelation, such as a revelation of creation. And also there's a, a testimony of the Spirit with our spirit that tells us that these things are true. I truly believe that. The invitation of the Scripture is to come. To come to Jesus. And he'll never drive you away. What an amazing picture, I think, of God's mercy and God's grace to us. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, uh, you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Learn from me, he said. Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. Is that not Peter's response that we're going to see in a minute where he says, Lord, where else can we go? You're the son of God. I absolutely believe that. You have the words of life. I'm going to stay right here because I have a chance of figuring it out right here. 
He won't drive that person away. Never, never will he drive them away. Revelations twenty-two seventeen: The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Again, not works, free gift of the water of life. God's will is for all to look to the Son and believe to have life eternal, to have life abundant, and to be raised up at the last day. Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him, verse 40, shall have eternal life. And again, He says, I will raise Him at the last day. And Jesus says that I shall lose none of those that the Father has given me. I like that. Especially since I'm 65 or fixing to be there. I can sleep at night, can't you? Jesus ain't going to lose me. You ever lost a kid? That's not fun, is it? Jesus ain't going to lose us. He's going to be right there. He's going to keep us on a short leash. In verse 45. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to Me. They'll all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to Me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. He says it here again. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert. They ate and they died. But there is a bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread bread is my flesh, and I will give it for the world. What's he talking about there? Yeah, he's talking about his death on Mount Calvary. He's going to give his flesh for the sins of the world. He's going to be that sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Can you imagine how hard it would be to understand this, though, on the other side of the cross? And that would be a hard revelation to, to grasp. And you can see kind of where they go with this in the next part here and how they line up where they did but uh you know i you know it's you would think now on this side of the cross it'd be a pretty easy thing right and yet it seems people on this side of the cross a lot of times have just as much trouble as the folks on the other side of the cross these people maybe i think some of them were thinking cannibalism you know what in the world is he talking about here come take a bite you know i mean uh no that was not it at all It wasn't a literal eating of the flesh. Again, he's trying to get them to step into this spiritual arena and to look at it. As the bread is to the body, so Jesus is to the soul, right? It's life-giving. To take bread in, you eat it. To take Jesus in, what do you have to do? You got to believe, right? So here's the deal. Since the gift and the giver are one and the same, you cannot take something from Jesus without taking Jesus. And a lot of people don't get that. They go to the Lord all the time wanting something from Him, but not wanting Him. It doesn't work that way, right? The gift is in the giver. 
the giver is the gift. And when you take him, then you get the whole package. But without that, you're missing the deal. In John 6, 52, he says, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, that's a good question if you're still on that plane. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in him. Wow. Okay, that's really going to be hard for those people who are still talking about flesh and blood, right? There is a way that we come to the Lord, and that is through the cross. To reject this provision is to not get there. That's what he's saying. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you uh, have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at that last day. For my flesh is real food, it was a real sacrifice, and my body is real drink. It was a real sacrifice for the sins of mankind. It's real. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna, they died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. It's a real sacrifice that he made in the flesh for our sins on Mount Calvary. The one who came and lived a perfect life and did, in Ezekiel, the, the word says, the soul that sins, it must die. There was no death in Jesus's future ever, but he gave his life a willing sacrifice for us. That's what's going on here. Some liken this to the Lord's Supper with our identification there at the Lord's Supper with, with Him and His death, His burial, and His resurrection. I'm okay with that. Some say it has to do with the Passover meal. I like that too, because it has more of the faith element in it for me. Uh, at least it's, it's one that you can see more clearly. They were given uh, instruction. The lamb was to be slain, okay? And they were given instruction as to what to do with the blood of that lamb and to what to do with the, the flesh of that lamb and the eating of it and the spreading of that over the doorposts. And those who had faith responded properly to the instruction and the lamb that was slain became that faith practice, that faith statement that they stepped into so that the death angel passed over. You could have still been a Jew and not celebrated the Passover that night and your firstborn would have died because you didn't have the blood covering you. You hadn't accepted the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for you. You didn't eat the Passover lamb the way you were supposed to. There's a teaching here that they should have picked up on from their rich history that they were missing. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus says, does this offend you? Well, what if the Son of Man ascends to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. It's going to pass away. The Spirit is not. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus is saying it very clearly right now. I'm not talking about flesh and blood. I'm talking about spirit and life. This is it. And yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe 
and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that the one who no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. You reject the Father, you're going to reject Jesus. You reject the drawing of the Father, you're going to reject Jesus. It's just the way it was. Remember Jesus said to him, he said, the reason you don't get it and you don't come to me is because Abraham's not your father, God is not your father, you're listening to the devil, the devil is your father. But if you're tuned in to God, listen, you seek him with all your heart, you're going to find him. He promises that in Jeremiah. And then, I love these, I love this passage. You do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. For many of his disciples at that time were turning back and no longer following him. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Can you nail that down? If you can nail that down, you know what? I believe you're the Holy One of God, Jesus. You have the words of life. I'm in. Here's my coffee. You're the teacher. Teach. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not trusting anything else. I'm not looking anywhere else for truth. You're the son of God. You have the words of eternal life. I don't think Peter was getting it all. I mean, he just sunk in the lake, right? You know, I mean, he's still not there. But he's looking at this saying, there ain't no place else to go. Okay. You got an answer? Great. Give me your answer. What's the source that you're going to for your answer? Your science book? That don't work for me. What is it? CNN? That don't work for me. You know? God, CNN. Mm, that's a toughie, isn't it? What's your source of truth? What's your source of truth? How, how, how significant is that? The battle is for the mind. The most frustrating things that Lori and I ever faced in our life was walking through Dick's death with him. A man who all his life I'd never been able to, to reason with him in a way that he didn't feel like abortion was a significant thing. And on his deathbed, because he has so devalued life, he's trying to pressure us into giving him the suicide field. Call the doctors, do what needs to be done so that I can have a pill and I can be out of here because I'm ready to go. You devalue life, what happens? We wonder how a mother can have a baby, wrap it in a bag, and then throw it in the garbage. You devalue life. You can kill the baby two weeks before it's born, but after he's born, all of a sudden it's alive. You devalue life. This is what you get. And we got to take away all the guns because the kids are shooting each other in school. Yeah, well, look at the video games they watch. Look at the teachings they're getting from you. Look at the way you devalued human life. And you come around then to say, hmm, you know, guns must be the problem. We didn't have this stuff when I was a kid. Not like this. What's your source of truth? The problem is people have rejected this source of truth. Bless Peter's heart. He knew that Jesus was the Holy One of God and he was going to sit right there until he figured it out. 
I guess that's a good place to end. Where do you find yourself in the pages of these scriptures? I'm going to bet my money on Jesus. Just like Peter said and believed. I think that's the appropriate response. Boy, there was a lot of reactions to Jesus that day. Right down to verse 70, and then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon, uh, Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve would later betray him. What are you going to do with Jesus? The bread of life come down from heaven. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Sad news for folks who don't see. And Lord, I don't know why. I, I really don't. Some can see so quickly and some so clearly and, and some cannot. I have clues from your word. It says, because of what we love. Some, were, some will just love darkness more than light. Some will love the appetites of the flesh and the pursuit of those instead of the things of God. I get that. But I marvel and I'm amazed, Lord, that I can hear the call. I can read the word. I can see the hand of God all around me. Lord, I think you are amazing. And I don't see how anybody can miss you. But Lord, our Hearts can be blinded and confused by the enemy in big ways. And the devil is a master of lies. So Lord, as people examine their lives today, I pray that that still small voice with the power of your Holy Spirit would lead them to the truth of God's word and the life of Jesus. That they might find life in the one who will never turn us away. Amen.